Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. My name is Zach, and I'll be your host this evening. And I'm joined alongside my two trusty co-hosts, Andres and Sam. So, boys, Chelsea dropped some points again in the league. But luckily, we had Halloween to distract us. So, Andy, I'll start with you. Uh, how did you distract yourself from the horrendous result? Um, my wife and I decided it was a smart idea to have back-to-back events happening at our house. So, we had a family get-together with both sides of our family immediately after the match and then after they left we had to turn around get our house ready for like a small halloween party that we were hosting so to be completely honest it was the perfect distraction i had zero time to sort of surf twitter and and dive deep in the toxicity of what happens after chelsea lose in an embarrassing fashion so yeah i got to hang out with family then hang out with some friends and drink a lot. Dressed up as Harry Potter with a mustache because I didn't have time to shave it off. So, yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you supported House Gryffindor too, or at least looks like it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Hannah and I kind of took the easy way out and bought some like, overall robes and then just tried to dress up like, like Hogwarts students underneath. So it was a good time though. My buddy's friend came as, uh, as Jesus Christ like a true historically accurate Jesus Christ. And it was great. It was good stuff. But Sam, how was your weekend? Oh man. Well, right today I spent the whole day recovering from last night. <laughs> I was really out of it today, but I had another costume plan, but this game made me like so depressed, ruined my whole day pretty much. So, I thought I'd give in to my emotions. I dressed up as, uh, you know, like a goth, emo goth person. Uh, I, you know, fake cried the whole night. Those are real tears, by the way. Um, And I drank all my problems away. So you were basically me in middle school for Halloween. (laughs) That wasn't just Halloween, Zach. That was, you you had a phase. You had a phase, I remember. Legit phase. Um, Legit phase, yeah. It was a real shitty start to the weekend. That was just absolutely, you know, what word I'm going to use right now? Shambolic, yeah. shambolic performance. All caps, baby. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really dress up as anything this year. We didn't have a party to go to per se, but I went. I saw my new cousin, my new baby cousin. So that's kind of cool. So uh, for the first time. What was that? Is that the, you saw him for the first time? Or- yeah. I met him today for the first time, so uh, oh, that was nice. yeah, that was nice. Um, but anyways, we got a game to talk about. Unfortunately, um, yeah, unfortunately. So Chelsea dropped points again, as I mentioned earlier. Except this time, we don't pick up any whatsoever because Brighton spanked us four one. Um, I'll start off with the starting eleven. At least to me, it looked like a three four three to start. We had Keppa in goal. Back three in the middle, Thiago Silva, flanked by Chalaba and Kukurea. Um, Our midfield pairing of Kovacic and RLC. Two attacking wingbacks in Christian Pulisic and Raheem Sterling. Pulisic lining up on the right, Sterling on the left. And then uh, a front three of Gallagher, Mount, and Kai Havertz starting at striker. So, Sam, I'll start with you. Um, initial thoughts on the starting 11. Uh. 
I the first thing I thought of when I saw it is that it was garbage, <laughs> and I know that he, uh, Grand Potter had quite the task of building this defensive line with all the injuries that we have, but it doesn't make. I mean, obviously the wingback thing that that shouldn't have happened in the first place, but what I don't understand is why the hell Ben Chilwell is on the bench right now. Like, mm. if we are short wingbacks and we're forced to play Kukurea as a center back, why the hell is Ben Chilwell not playing left wingback? That seemed like a no-brainer to me. It really made no sense. I mean, we, we've seen this wingback experiment um, a couple times, and maybe in the future it'll work. With a also with a more assured back line, it'll probably work where you know the wingbacks aren't asked to do so much, but like it's it seemed like common sense to me. Maybe you know I'm I'm making it out to be a lot more simpler than it actually is, but I think that Grand Potter kind of overthought that and yeah. um. Like you weren't you weren't the only one. Yeah. All of Twitter thought the same. And I think uh Andy probably shares a similar sentiment to that. Yeah, I mean honestly when I first saw it, I was like, okay, we did it midweek. It may work again. I really did not expect Brighton to have a back four. I'm not sure if that at all really played a factor into it. But go off what Sam is saying. I just don't understand. It hasn't looked good outside of the, the midweek match. Anytime we've deployed wingbacks without Reese James. And mm -hmm. so at this point, it feels like we're just trying force, like shoot a fit kind of thing. And I mean, just had our number this time around. It just, there's no solution here. And it just kind of got ugly. I I initially again didn't mind the lineup. I thought it was offensive. I thought it would be something that, you know, we're trying to push the envelope. Then the game started and it was the complete opposite. So yeah, it's very disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I, I had similar to you guys, I, I I wasn't really too crazy about the initial starting eleven and then in my head the hopeful Zach at least thought that RLC was going to be starting at wing back and Kovacic would be sitting at the base of a midfield three with Gallagher and Mount in front of him and Kai up top, you know, as the lone striker. Um, but that wasn't the case. We saw a midfield pivot with RLC and Kovacic. They were overrun. Um, and it just seemed like the, the physicality of the game just completely took over and uh, went in Brighton's favor. So, Let's just get into the Graham, the Graham Potter conversation because, uh, you know, he was a major talking point about this game. Um, obviously, the experiment with the attacking wingbacks was a disaster this time around. And to be honest, we haven't really looked great since the second Milan match. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was very similar, this match, um, to the last match against United. And then also shades of the Salzburg match where at times, at least in the Salzburg match, but for the entirety of the United match, in my opinion, our physicality fucked us because we didn't have any. We were completely overrun in the midfield, like I mentioned before, and 
it's not just a matter of having a physical presence in the back, in the middle, or up top. It's a matter of having that right balance across the entire pitch. And for me in this game, I think having an attacking player who's a physical brute and with the likes of Armando Broja would have been extremely beneficial for the team. I mean, we just needed somebody to shithouse this game across the line for us. And it seems like that type of player or that type of profile of player is going to be needed a lot more this season. So why not use it, I guess, for lack of a better word. And yeah, I mean, that's just that's just my general take on it. Um, we did have a Twitter question that I want to pass off to you guys because it does spark some interesting thought here. Andy, you have something to mention? Yeah, before we get into the question, you were talking about like the lack of physicality. I think right now, for one, I think we just simply enough this team is not as physical without Reese James. And I think under Potter, Reese James was really allowed to sort of determine when and how he he helps the team in transition. And I thought that he was essentially always an extra body in midfield. You talk about lacking the physicality. That Milan match before he got hurt, he was very much central winning the ball against the likes of Teo Hernandez and, and Tenali. So I... It pains me to say this because in, our, in the recent history of Chelsea, I feel like it's been a very, the, the team's identity is always centered around one player. It was Hazard FC, Hazard leaves. And then every time we had a good patch of form, it was Conte FC. And without Conte, then is when we looked bad. And now it's Reese James FC. It's ridiculous how much the levels have dropped with just one guy who on paper is a defender but nothing is clicking. You could argue that this was the first time our defense didn't quite click and props to Chalaba for first way he was playing recently, but there's no transition from back from the back to the front. There's no threat from our right hand side of the pitch at all. And, and it just all looks disjointed as it may seem simple to point it out this way, Sam, but I really do think it's the lack of the Reese James of it all. Funnily enough, Andy, I want to chime in on that really quick because this is we saw signs of this last season when Chilbo went down and we still tried to play a back three without one of our wing backs also. So I don't know if you were gonna say the same thing, Song. I mean, not just not just Chilbo, but when Reese James also went down. I mean that that happened in like a span of like two weeks. So yeah, we're um, back to back. It's it's clearly I don't know, because before I thought that because of Tuchel's system, we relied too much on that position, and that's why it hurt us so much. And it's kind of strange to see in a, with a new manager in a new system that it's still such a big drop-off without that one player. But maybe it's not just like the system, but it's the type of player that Reese James is. The fact that he can do it on both ends, the fact that he's so physical, I think it's a little bit inspiring to the rest of the team too. Um, I don't know. Did you you didn't read that question yet? Did you? No, not yet. But if you want to answer it first, I can read it out right now. Really yeah, go quick. ahead. Go ahead. Um, so at Human Capital Department asks us a question. Shout out to at Human Capital Department. We still want to know what the hell is up with the Twitter handle. So we'll have uh, him on the show soon. We'll have him on yes. the show soon. <laughs> Yeah, he has um, to be on the show. I think that's a necessary thing. Yeah, well, the bottom of it. He asked us 
We've had two unconvincing draws in the Premier League, and now this humiliating defeat. To what extent should Potter take responsibility? So, Sam, you got dibs. Okay. I said this in the beginning. It's, it was, it's a really tough task for him to build an 11 when we have um, both um, Koulibaly and Fafana out. Um, so the back three, you really have, you, you have no other choice besides those three, unless you want to play Dave there as well, um, which is not my first choice. Like I would, I honestly would have been okay with Dave playing right wing back as well, or maybe a right back in a back three in a back four where he did not advance at all. Like he really just like stayed back. Even though like his last appearance, oh, no, I missed a couple matches, so maybe I didn't see it. But I think the last time he he started at right wing back, he Vince looked Wolves. really solid. Was that the last time he played? Because he looked really good that match, and like yeah. I still would have given him another chance on that yeah. side. But besides that, I really, I really want to kind of give a little bit of blame to Dennis Zakaria for being shit this, in training. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, I I can't I can't blame Potter for not playing him if he's not convincing him in training. And Fair enough. he could be like I mean, we we're talking about all the players that were missing. We're missing Conte as well. I thought Kovacic had an amazing match. I thought he he looked amazing. The balls like he played like four or five amazing through balls that he rarely does make. And I think that having RLC beside him or kind of hurt the midfield overall because he he doesn't have that physicality, or at least I think he does, but he didn't show it this last match. If you could have Zakaria next to Kovacic, it would have improved our midfield so much more. So I'm I like it's 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 a tough task for Potter. I'm giving a little bit more blame to Zakaria because I think he could have, if if he was playing well or playing in general, he could solve a lot of our, um, you know, of our issues right now. Andres, do you, do you feel any differently? I mean, Zakaria is dead to me. I, I I don't count him. I count him as like a unused bench spot when I see his name now. I I don't expect him to play very much. Honestly, the World Cup is. In, around the corner maybe he gets a call up from switzerland maybe the world cup is how we get rid of zakaria because at this point he's he's adding no value to this team but in terms of the question i do think potter needs to take responsibility i think specifically for this match i think he needs to take a lot of it because he out of anybody should know this brighton side there should have been zero surprises i don't care that deserby or whatever the new manager's name for Brighton is, has come in. You talk, you talk about Potter not having time. Deserby jumped into a league he doesn't know with players he doesn't know. He's essentially playing the same players that Potter was. They, you know, he finally benched, uh, what's his name, Welbeck. But I don't think Brighton has played that much differently than when Potter was there. Like Potter's roots and his style very much are still in there. And I think it's shocking that Potter got beaten by his own 
monster that he created sort of thing. I, I thought he was mm -hmm. going to have every solution. I thought he was going to know how to to find the weaknesses in the fortress he once built, per se. And sure, Brighton's tough to play, but damn, like, or one? Like, to for the first 10, 15 minutes to get completely wrecked. It was not a minute of those first 15 that I think, oh, yeah, we're going to get out of this. It just felt like it was coming, and it was never going to be our day. And, and it just kind of stayed that way. So I do think Potter needs to take full responsibility here. We already talked about how you know, we've seen wingback experiment fail. We've also seen, like you said, some the back four with Aspie on the right work and, and adds an extra body in midfield, which we desperately needed in a match like this. Because again, some said Zakaria, the one DM that's healthy, can't even break into the side. So yeah, I, I completely, this one's all on Graham Potter for me. I think that he got it wrong. I also think, you know, at one point or another, we were going to have a bad match because we've been playing so much. But writing was on the wall for this one, and we were just being optimistic because we haven't won convincingly since Reese James went down. And, and honestly, none of the games outside of Salzburg is a far lower side. Mm -hmm. um, it looked great and just to like uh keep everyone informed the, the match where reese james went down was the second leg of the milan yep. matchup where we won three no yeah i mean that's why i mentioned we haven't really looked good since then right mm -hmm. and, and and the thing is andy you hit the nail on the head we talked about it all last pod to death about how we think potter will know exactly how to counter this side and how to and how to set up a team to beat them because in order to be a good manager you also know how how your side can get beaten and you have to adapt to that so i thought he would have that know-how but look in my opinion i think he overthought the hell out of the lineup um to be completely honest i thought there was no way in hell that he was going to go play a back three after the way we played against united because when we shifted to the back four against united we got control of the match. We seemed to play a lot better. We didn't necessarily create more chances, but we stable, we, we, we steadied the ship at the very least. And for me in this game, I think he hesitated a little bit because we, we went 2-0 down, actually 3-0 down and into the half before we even made a change tactically to the way we played. And that's unlike Potter. I think he was completely out of his comfort zone. I think he was completely flustered. I think the moment might have been a little bit too much for him. And, and with that being said, I think it was too much for Kukurea also. I mean, I said last pod that he shouldn't, I, I don't think he should start this game. And lo and behold, he started and uh, he, he was the definitely a weak spot. Him. The booze yeah, got it, to him. He got did. rattled. Every, mm -hmm. yeah. the, the kickoff started, boo, boo, boo. The poor guy had to walk around the whole stadium before getting back to our bench and hide under his hair. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. he had <laughs> the worst, like. I did not expect uh, Brighton to be so butthurt about Potter and Kukurea. I, mean, I thought they were going to be like classy, like, you guys earned a move. We're going to miss you. Like, I thought it was going to be a little bit more of a warm reception, but my God, he he crumbled under the hate. Just like, think of that. It's, it's, was their last year's play, player of the season who they sold for the the highest transfer fee ever for a fullback. 
and he gets absolutely cooked in his return to Amex. It's it's a really sad uh, storyline, and it's, yeah. and it's embarrassing for us after poaching off the whole entire staff. And I know, right? <laughs> and his replacement almost well, he technically got an own goal because mm -hmm. I can't remember if it hit Chalaba or, or yeah, it hit Chalaba that time. Yeah. But Stupion was fucking fantastic. Yeah, he was. Oh, good. There was a couple chances where I forgot when it was later on, but um, I forgot which. I think it was Kai had like the center back beat, um, Lewis Dunk, and Estupion came in and got the tackle right at the end, like recognizing that that Dunk couldn't handle it in that moment. And I was like, damn, like this guy's really outplaying Kukurea right now as a mm -hmm. left back and as a center back. <laughs> And here's the thing. This is what drives me nuts. Up the fucking wall about the Kukurea situation. Homie had tonsillitis. Lost a lot of weight. And apparently he lost like 5 or 6 kilos. And then gets thrusted back into the team and is expected to perform. Why do we not protect our players in these situations and just say, Hey, take the next week or two. Drink some protein shakes. Hit the weight room. Throw that weight back on. Get back in shape. And then he'll come back into the team. Let's gradually bring him in, not start him out of necessity in a system where we're already fitting square pegs and round holes. It just it drives me up the wall. But anyways, I did want to bring up um, the, the Potter post-match quotes because he does answer the question in terms of taking responsibility. He was quoted after the match saying, I won't throw the players under the bus because they've been brilliant for me. I understand that whenever you do something and it doesn't work, you look a bit of a fool. That's how it is. I have to accept that, deal with that, do better, and learn. That's the process. So, Andres, I'll start with you. I can speak for myself in saying that's exactly what I wanted to hear him say after the match. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's refreshing, right? There was times throughout the, the Tuchel era, especially at the end there, where all we wanted him to do was take responsibility and, and protect his players. Because this is the first time we lose. It wasn't like a hard fought, like, we're proud of the performance, lads. Like, don't worry. It was just shit. And I'm glad he put himself up front and said, it's not on them. They've done everything I've asked. Now this one's on me. So yeah, I, I appreciate the fact that he's, you know, a humble guy. And the fact that he can protect the team. I think it, this can go a long way, especially because there's not still no turnaround a full week and we won't see that until 2023 so yeah, i think that this was the right move try to brush it off and tell the players that it's not on them and and just move on to the next one as fast as possible so I'm, belichick way yeah i mean I'm, I'm fine with the quote he didn't say anything profound or groundbreaking or controversial it was just not generic answer. Huh? just a generic i mean i don't care when was the last time we had a manager come in and say, my bad, guys, I fucked this one up? Too cool. He said that many times. I don't think he said it I enough. I don't know. I mean, things were good, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's why it's so know. easy for Potter to say it now as well, because things still are good. Like, l let's be honest. It's not all negative. I mean... We, we were unbeaten for the first nine matches, ten matches he was in charge. So just because we drop three points here doesn't mean that the world is fucking ending. But 
I think the general mood around the club and the general feeling around the players is that we're still we're still on the up, and maybe that's why he felt so willing to say this. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Yeah, who knows? I think I think he needs to take responsibility. I think, like Sam said, it's nothing special, but he needed to do this. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Nothing yeah, that's what I'm special. saying too. Like, yeah. yeah, like it was just what he had to say, and I yeah, don't think yeah. he needed to add anything else to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the main theme of of this conversation in terms of Graham Potter, the underlying theme rather, is he needs to get the most out of his players. So how does he do that necessarily is the question. And at Black Emoji actually asked us that exact question. What needs to happen to unlock this sterile attack? Um, So for me, guys, I'll kind of take lead on this. You need to switch to a back four, and you need to play these players in their natural fucking positions. I don't want to see Raheem Sterling playing at wing back. I don't want to see Pulisic playing at wing back. I want to see my strikers playing as strikers. I either want to see one of Gallagher or Mount playing at the 10. I need two midfield pivots that are actually comfortable playing in midfield. And I want Dave to come back from the dead and play as a right back until Reese James comes back. He looked good against Wolves. We're only asking him to string together the next, what, Half a month of games, two weeks of games before the World Cup, and then obviously, or hopefully, we'll have Reese James back by then. But to me, some variation of a back four with a four-three-three or four-two-three-one is the answer. Sam, I just feel like didn't we have this exact? Like I think you have given this exact answer <laughs> when we had Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, and we had the same issue. Did we not just fire Thomas Tuchel and replace him with someone, and then we have the same issue with a defend with a manager playing our players out of position? I think it's oversimplifying th- it though, because I think no, 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 no. Hold intention on, hold on. is better. Hold on, my point is, I think it has a lot to do with the players that we have, and I know this is going to be the next question. I'll I'll just read it off the one from Ron. He said, how much of this is on the old regime and the players they got slash left us, left us with, or to the injury bug and Potter's tactics? And I think the first part has a lot to do with it. We're talking about a manager being forced to play players out of position. It's because he doesn't have enough players in that position, right? So when we have a couple injuries, we have to replace them. What players do we have to replace them? Someone who has to play out of position. So, like, it's just, I'm not trying to go back in time and say that the Tuchel firing was unjust because it was a lot more than just playing players out of position. But when we have two managers back-to-back doing the same thing and we're criticizing them, like, these guys aren't idiots. Like, they understand football. They're not playing players out of position to try things out and to see how it's going to work. Like they're doing it out of necessity. Right. Andres. I mean, don't, yeah, you think? No, I, I agree. I think it shows the fact that we never got somebody. We, we just talked about it. We lose Reese James and we're not asking to have a perfect Reese James 2.0, at least a serviceable guy on the bench. Like Andy Robertson needs a break and they have Samikas. you know, Liverpool has that. Um, it's just like, Last season, City had Cancelo, and when he had to break it, you got Zinchenko. Like, teams Kyle Walker have the also. Depth. Right. So it, it's just ridiculous that we're going into season three without right wing back backup. 
and any any fullback backup. Right. And so I understand like well, I need to play somebody there. And I get that Potter, you know, my his wingbacks aren't true wingbacks, all that crap. But honestly, like we know we've known this. Some of our players are still not good enough. And it will go a long way to play them in the right position. I mean, we've seen Connor Gallagher's season completely U-turn from Tuchel to Potter with Potter trusting him more in the right place. But my solution, bench these fuckers. Like, quit forcing Raheem Sterling into the side when he's playing like ass. You took, oh, you took We're going to get Raheem Sterling. Don't yeah, worry. No, no, but, but it's not just him. Kai Havertz was playing like shit. You benched him against United. You didn't take br- bring him on against United. And now he's scored back-to-back games. Like, you need to tell these guys that you perform or you're out. And that's as, as simple as it gets. Like, oh, Kukurea was my boy at Brighton. Fuck that. He, Zach said it. He was sick. He doesn't feel well. Quit forcing a back three. Let Chilwell play, who, by the way, has looked good under Potter. Aspie mm-hmm. was doing good at right back. And Chalabuz are freaking best defender right now. So back four. Boom. RLC and Kovacic look good in the midfield too. As long as Mount and Gallagher are in front of them, play a 4-2-3-1. Pulisic scored against Wolves as a left winger. Put him back on the left side instead of the right side because Raheem hasn't done shit in like five or six games. So bench the guys that aren't putting the effort. Simple. Again, Omari Hutchinson made the bench. I expect this kid to play Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever the hell we play next. Because at this point... The guys that are getting paid the big bucks aren't doing it. So yeah, we don't have, again, Potter is going to have, it'll look a lot different after the World Cup. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Some of the players don't get a call up. They get to stay with Potter. He gets to really get to know them. But like now we need to get the results. It doesn't have to be cohesive. Put players that are playing well in their place and get the results. We have four more matches. Zagreb should be a win. Arsenal better be competitive as fuck. Man City one, honestly, I don't give a shit about the Carabao Cup. That could be a 6-0 loss as long as the kiddos get to play. Fuck it. And Newcastle, I hope we beat Newcastle. So, out of the last four matches, I expect win to clinch the group in the UCL, and then a minimum of three points in the Premier League. The Carabao Cup, I don't care. But I need to see effort. I need to see... Something that makes me think that these guys are trying and at least the ones that are giving a shit are playing. Like, you mentioned Broja potentially for this Brighton match. Maybe Broja gets to play alongside Kai a little bit because Obama Ying hasn't done shit. Sterling hasn't played well. Fuck it. Maybe he's saving himself for the World Cup. Don't give him the time of day. Like, yeah. I have, I have a lot of issues with the World Cup in the winter because I really do think it, it's playing into these players, like, how they approach season mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm about to go off on a tangent but it is also the reason why everybody's getting injured oh All yeah these players are one month away from a world cup one month i just have to stay healthy maybe i don't go in as hard that's what leads to injury you play afraid you're gonna get hurt mm-hmm. and and i think that's part of what's going on right now raheem sterling is just maybe just cashing in his checks right now because he's gonna go to the world cup and this may be his last world cup for all we know he's just trying to get there like, mm-hmm. that, that's my excuse for him. And I know we'll get to him a little bit later. So sorry I keep harping back on him. But it's just crazy, man. Like, don't play the guys that aren't giving it, giving you the, the performances. 
And it's not like Potter hasn't done it before. Jorginho got benched a few times, and then when he got selected again, he started looking good. It worked with Kai. Like, do it with the guys that aren't performing now. Like, it's that simple. We don't have the turnaround time. Uh, and I mean, just one thing I need to add to that. The World Cup in the winter is fucking idiotic. That's all I need to say. Yeah. I, so I'm. I hate it so much. I'll double down on that. I fucking. I'm still hate gonna watch idea. it, but I. I just hate everything right. that has to do with like the scheduling and all that and how it affects. Again, I don't want to speak on yes. every Chelsea fan. For the uh, at least the three of us, Chelsea comes first and foremost, and then international is second. So like, yeah. for this to not be away from the Chelsea schedule, not impacting the Chelsea schedule, and, and really being in the heart of it all when we're having a new manager, it fucking sucks. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I do want to move on from the Potter talk a little bit. I want to move on to more pressing issue, and that's our goalkeeper situation. I mean, a week ago, or last pod at least, we were talking about... Um, you know how Kepa's clearly our number one, just like we've been harping on the last couple pods. But now he's injured, <laughs> so he suffered a foot injury, uh, had to get taken off at the half, and um, Mendy came on to replace him. So, I guess the first question that I'll kind of pose to you guys, I mean, obviously it's going to have an effect on the team. I think it, I think it even had an effect on the way we played the second half. But if it is something longer term, Andres, what kind of effect do you think it's going to have? I mean, I think it means we won't be as calm in possession at the back. I think, honestly, in a weird way, this might force us to be playing that back four. Mm-hmm. Uh, because under at the time under Kepa, Kepa was the fourth man in possession in a back, back four. The way it would work is that you would have Chalaba go way right, and Kepa's the next man central, then Tiago, and then Kukurea, and that's how we were possessing out the back because we were using our keeper very much in a way where he is an extra field player to possess. So we know Mendy is not capable of doing that, or at least he hasn't shown us that. And, and like I said, we need to get results. We're in sixth place, so I see back four and a lot less messing around in the back, maybe a couple more forced balls from deep. Um, yeah, it's just, it's going to be maybe a little bit more counterattacking, less uh, pretty 16 pass combinations that lead to a goal. Uh, yeah, it's going to, I think it's going to be night and day as to how the team is going to play at, at this point. You can say that the goal we conceded was maybe rust, but long-term, luckily there's no long-term, is that what I'm trying to say, I guess, because Kepa could be back in the World Cup. It's four matches. We need shot-stopping in the next four matches. Like I said, it's Arsenal, it's Man City, it's Newcastle. So short-term, it's going to be weird. Long-term, I mean, Mendy's long-term future kind of depends on these four matches in a way. Yeah. As weird as that sounds. So, Sam, I know, like, Zach and I kind of jumped on the Kepa bandwagon early and you were a little bit more hesitant now that you saw both in this match. I mean, how, what, what do you think? Well, I wasn't hesitant. I, 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 I was hesitant of 
outright saying he's not like the only way he would lose this spot is if he gets hurt. You guys were technically right about that. <laughs> he lost the <laughs> spot. The only reason why we saw um, Mendy was because he got hurt. Um, but I just want to touch on what you said about how we're going to have to play different. And it's, it's going to be a good test for Potter because we're not going to be able to play the way that he wants to play. And that, that is just like such a key, um, uh, like, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the word, but like, it's the, the identifying like factor pretty much of Potter's style of play is that he needs a, a keeper that can play the ball at his feet. Because like you said, we play in a back three. He's pretty much the fourth guy, like a fourth field position mm-hmm. player. Um, and now he's going to have to completely change the system up. We're playing a back four, not play his traditional style, something that he likes. He's going to have to change the system to get the best out of the players that we have available. Yeah. So with that being said, only time will tell whether he's able to accomplish that feat but um it's clear that with with Me- with Mendy in I mean he he fucked up like three or four times with the ball at his feet just in this one match in one half and it, it's it's clear you he can't he can't do it Andreas you said we don't know if we he can't do it or if he hasn't shown it, it I think it's 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 clear he can't do it and that's that's fine. That's not his play style. Not every keeper is good at their feet. So yeah. we'll see. I think that it's not the end of the world. I think that we we've seen it. We can win with Mendy in, in goal. Um, so just a matter of how Potter um, sets up his tactics now. It is going to be a test. And honestly, guys, it has me a little bit worried. Um I thought I was sold after the United match that we would play a back four and we didn't. We still went with the back three. A part of me thinks that he's going to give this Mendy in our uh, this Mendy as our keeper a solid run with a back three. And I think he needs actual proof that it doesn't work before pulling, you know, pulling the rug out of that. The 45 and going minutes, out with a back four. The 45 minutes I, wasn't enough. Listen, for me, okay. if, if I'm Graham Potter, 15 minutes is enough. I don't need 45 minutes. I, I I don't I actually don't need any time to know that Mendy is incapable of the range of passing that we've seen Keppa display the last couple weeks. And it's not just that, guys. Teams have been trying to catch us over the top. That's like that's been a main theme that we've seen all season, at least under Potter, where teams would play that ball over the top and try to get Tiago in a 1v1 and Keppa would get us out of trouble by coming off of his line. We don't even see Mendy doing that as much anymore. So even if we are in position, it's going to scare me. How many times have we seen Tiago yell at Mendy for not coming out for a ball? It's happened for a while now. And I think that the -the over-the-top ball has always been a strategy. I mean, under Tuchel, we have a high possession. Our back three's up in in the other team's half. But... um. Oh man, I, I lost what I was gonna say. I had something in my head uh, in well, regards to the Mendy thing. Maybe I, you'll maybe you'll get it back um, after I read this little spiel here, because I do want to move and focus in on Mendy himself. Actually, um, 
to defend him and to play devil's advocate here, and, and this is completely fair, it is hard to step in at half of a game that's already over. In my opinion, the game was over in the first half. So you look like it, the light bulb just went off. Andy. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember <laughs> what I was going to say, Zach. You're talking about how you don't think Potter will, you know, you think Potter's going to actually force Mendy into this like possessive style. Like, I think that's a little, I think the game is a little bit specific 90 minutes is getting to you because just a week ago we were talking about Potter being subs early, changing it up like he did against United, a back three to back four. So we've seen him make, pull the plug early when something's not working. And so I don't think, I don't think he's going to force Mendy to do it. I think he's going to have to, to do some passing, but not at the level of, of comfort that we saw with Kepa, where Tiago Silva is more than willing to be way wide of his box instead of just getting a little five yard pass for Mendy. So I think this game kind of got to you a little bit because I really can't see Potter just, experimenting at this point in the season when the teams when both united and newcastle are above us on the table it's the ptsd speaking under tommy t that's all just the (laughs) fact that he never changed things period when there were major injuries scares the fuck out of me as a chelsea fan so maybe i'm a bit naive for 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 assuming that potter would be the same and to be fair to your point he hasn't been. He's actually been completely different than Tuchel. The one outlier is this Brighton match where he just kind of looked like a deer in the headlights on the sideline. It didn't really look like he had any idea how to how to subdue them, honestly. But going back to the Mendy point, like I said, it, it, it's hard to step in mid-match, especially when the game is over. But like you guys said, he did give the ball away a few times. He was at fault for the fourth goal. I'm not having it any other way. The shot went straight to him. You either have to parry that down towards the ground and and control it, or you just fucking let it, you know, you you let it go right into your stomach and catch it. I mean, that's what you're trained to do. And and Mendy spilled it. Gross was there. They got the cleanup trash goal. Um, but I mean, this is this is the golden question for us, right? And I think I kind of gave my take on it. As a shot stopper, I completely trust Mendy. But do we actually trust Mendy? Um, and will Potter be able to instill the confidence in him, in him in order to play his playing style? Do we think that's the route Potter's going to go, or do we genuinely think Potter's just going to oversimp or, or Potter's going to simplify things for him and adapt? Yeah. It has to be the latter. Yep, you you have to accommodate. Like we are not forcing Mendy to do that. I mean. Yeah, simple as that. You have to help Mendy. Yeah, yeah. You yeah mean, no, like, I you're, agree. You're gonna put him. You're gonna put him in a position to fail. Mm-hmm. You're, gonna, you're gonna. You're and we're going to lose. Yeah, that's not what Grand Potter wants. It's not what any Chelsea fan yeah. wants. Like he's like be a fair, big. He's a big uh, psychology guy, right? So like, why is yeah. he gonna put the guy? Like, let's be real. Public perception right now is that Kepa is number one. Mm-hmm. As much as people want to like the majority of Chelsea fans probably think Kepa is the number one keeper at this moment. Mendy has to come back and prove himself again for whether it's for mm-hmm. his Chelsea career, whether it's for his individual career, whatever. And you're going to make him look bad. Like, no, like Potter's not trying to sacrifice um, his own ego 
over the team's results. Like that's a like you said, that's a very Tommy T thing to do. But yeah, like mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's and it's not just Chelsea fans who think that Kepa's number one player. It's that locker room. The, mm-hmm. like, I think that everyone on the team feels that way as well. So yeah, they've they've gotten a good. Important. They've gotten a really good chemistry together. And 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 to be fair, guys, we talk about playing players in their correct positions. And I know you can't really shift the goalkeeper out of goal and put him somewhere else on the pitch, but you could change the team around him to, to accommodate his strengths and limit his weakness and limit the times where his weaknesses could be exposed. So like you said, maybe going to a back four would be the situation. But you got when you look at Mendy, what's his main attribute as a goalkeeper? It's the shot stopping ability. His ability to command the box when the ball is played in via a set piece or a cross, and it's just his pure shot stopping ability. So if we could play a back four and somehow figure out a way to sit deep when we need to, but also possess and be fluid when we need to, we just have to kind of find that balance in order for it for it, for it to work with him. And I could speak for all of us. I know you guys think the same. We're not saying by any stretch of the imagination that this won't work. We won the fucking Champions League with Mendy and goal. It it can definitely work if it's if the situation is treated properly. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I want to move on to another player, Andres. You mentioned Raheem Sterling earlier. It's time to talk about him, man. Because personally, I'm kind of over it. Um, the willingness to just kind of stick him out on a flank and say take as many take as many games as you need until you get kind of get into form it's just not going to happen with him he failed to impose himself again um in this game and the frustrating thing for me and this was mentioned multiple times in our discord every time he received the ball he turned directly into an opposing defender the complete inability to spin away from the defender and avoid where the pressure is coming from he didn't complete a single take on which is something i've been calling him out for time and time again and he misplaced nearly half of his passes. He only had a 54% pass completion rate on the entire game. So with that being said, his last goal in the league was on August the 30th. He only has three goals in the league. Two of them came in the same game. And the two games he did score for us were back-to-back matches. So I know the lineup doesn't help him, and the fact that we're forcing him to play as a wingback doesn't help him. But this guy just has to get his shit together fast. Otherwise, give someone else a chance sit his ass on the bench, and try to find another solution in the meantime. Give him that Kai Havertz treatment. Sam, I'll start with you. I mean, what do you think? Am I wrong saying that? Is it harsh? Uh, Sorry. Uh, I think that, first of all, if we switch to a back four, it gives more of a reason to sit him. Because... We're gonna need the only position that he could play is winger. In in a back th- in a back three, he could play either at winger or wing back. So, I think it's it's more of a like opportunity to sit him out because I think there's other players who can play out there. Um, who are playing better right now. What do you mean? You go like Mount and Pulisic, for example, or some I, variation uh, of yes, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I I honestly could even see Kai Havertz playing on the wing with a Bamiang or a Brogia playing as a striker. Um, or, 
I mean, you can have both of them also as in as strikers, but I don't know. I I I I could see other. It's just the fact is there's less positions where he could play. Um, I think it opens the door for him though. I think I I think if anything, switching to a back four. And sorry to to cut you off. No, no, go. But I think playing a back four allows him to play in a more advanced position on the wing. Like for example, if we play a four a traditional four three three or some variation of that. He's going to be higher up the pitch. And I know he was high up the pitch in the back three, but he also, and I know, I know there wasn't a defined responsibility for him to come back defensively, but he did. That's, that's the bottom line. So Andres. I think, think, hold on, sorry. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Just to finish my last point. I think Mm -hmm. my, my, my point was like mathematically in a, in a back four, there's only two positions on the field where he could realistically There's one play. less attacker on the pitch. That and, makes sense. And, yeah. and in a back three, there's four positions where he could play. Yeah. Either winger or as a wing back. I mean, you can even say he could play striker. So you can say there's three positions in a back four and then five positions in a back three. So there's less spots for him to realistically play because you're not going to play him as a midfielder. You're not going to play him as a defender. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't play him as a keeper. So... Yeah, that I'm just saying like mathematically, not like oh, schematically. On top of yeah. that, when you switch to the four two three one, and if we want to go back to meritocracy, like you're gonna play Polisic, and, and like we've said, if Aspie's on the right, you have to play Goner Gallagher on the right because then he can cover for Aspie if Aspie makes a forward run. Like we we discussed this and why it worked so well against Wolves is that Connor Gallagher's engine and ability to to defend after we lose the ball is is unmatched. He's not a true winger in a four two three one. He's a, a kind of a free guy that just covering that space and drifting centrally and then helping out defensively when needed. So mm-hmm. I, I'm with Son. The back four can give us a reason not to play him, and, and as it should be, I think it should be the four two three one with. With the pivot that we've been seeing of ROC and Kovacic, because I think that's been working well, especially with a back four. Mount has to play. Whether it's a four triple two or four two three one, you have Mount on the pitch. And it, it does give us a chance to slide Kai out or not Kai, excuse me, Raheem Sterling out of it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned he's not completing dribbles and and when he gets the like it just feels that like I said, I don't know if he's phoning it in until the World Cup. But it, it also just feels like he is is trying to do too much to get himself out of the slump because every time he got the ball around the box, he did his, like, one move, right? He tried to get to his right foot and curl it back post, and each time it was read like a book because he wasn't trying to do other things to, to sort of uh, not teach but make the defense think that there's other things in his in his back pocket, right? It was always Closing more than one threat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's that. And the one thing is like, sure, he had zero take on completed, but the one that bothered me more is he lost the ball 17 times. 17 is a shit ton of time to lose possession when you are supposed to be our best offensive player. Yeah. And and it's just like, sure, offensive players take riskier passes, but he was passing below 50% this game. It was like not below 50, below 60. It was like 54%. Which, again, ridiculous. I, I think you have to bench him, sit him down. Maybe he gets a cameo off the bench. Yeah. But but he, he should not start next match. He needs to be seated and let him 
his head right before he plays again because just continuing to play him is going to continue to be a one-dimensional Raheem Sterling. I mean, I I personally think he's going to come good at some point. It's just a matter of when, not really if for me, at least right now, at this point in time. He um, has the yips. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think that's what it is. And I think the reason why we're so frustrated is not because he was Bowley's first signing and whatnot. It's because of the reason why he came to Chelsea. I think he saw an opportunity to be that guy for us, to sort of lead the attack with this new generation and be that proven player that's been in a league, that's won leagues, that's scored plenty of goals, that's assisted many times, and he just hasn't imposed himself whatsoever. He just he hasn't lived up to the hype. Um, so my thing is, I want to ask you guys this. I think it points to a bigger issue personally. I think it points to the issue that our attack is not refined enough to compete for the league in terms of the actual players that we have at our disposal. So is it just a matter of the team struggling or does Raheem's dip in form, I guess, for lack of a better term, does it point to a bigger issue that we just need more quality in the attack in terms of player personnel? Sam, I'll start with you. Start off with Andreas with this one. I want to, I, I don't have a good answer for it. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Andy, go uh, for it. Well, here's the thing, right? Like, you can be a team that's not scoring 100 goals a game and win, or 100 goals in a season and win the league. We've seen it happen before. So, I think. It goes back to the squad building and not necessarily up front. I think we scored three goals past Milan. Like when the big games come, we have players that can do it. I think it just goes back to what happens when those guys aren't firing, right? And yeah. when they don't, we get fucked when Reese James is not here. So again, it's it's a matter of the squad building has to be, here's the 11. Here are some cheap alternatives to the 11 that play similarly because again Chilwell and Kukurea different style players both at left back Reese James is and then Aspie so you you have the arguably the best right wing back right back in the world versus a guy that should be retiring so again that is a huge drop off in midfield you have Kovacic, RLC, Conte and Jorginho all four different profiles. It doesn't go from plan A, Conte, and then you have a plan B who is like also a guy that's great at intercepting and reading the game. It goes from midfield energizer bunny runner to regista to dribbles out of pressure to RLC, who I'm still trying to figure out what camp he falls into. So I think our squad building behind our attack is is what causes the inconsistencies because again sterling can mess up and isn't afraid of messing up because one goal for the team can get us the win because we dominated the whole game like it, it, it just it's just that up and changing and every time we do make a sub or we change one starter it's a totally different game yeah it, it doesn't look consistent man city takes out rodri and gundogan can be the six man city takes out KDB and Bernardo Silva can play the KDB role a little bit. Liverpool did it plenty when they won the league. But, that, but now, speaking of Liverpool, to use them as an example, the year that they don't have 
depth. What's happening to them? They're below us in the table. Yeah. Because their squad's not built properly. So so I think it comes down to that. We can score one goal a game and still look great. <laughs> Happened under Tuchel. You know, it's just that there's just no consistency here. For once, I think our striking core is decent enough. Like Aubameyang, Kai, and Broja, that can get there's us goals. across the line to top four, yeah. yeah. Wingers, to be fair, Ziyech, I, I count him as gone too. So you have Pulisic and, 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 and Sterling as like your natural wingers. And I think that's decent enough for the left side. We don't really have a right-sided guy yet. But my point is, it's just like we have a broken squad building. And one window under Boldy wasn't enough. And, and that's where... That's why everything that's happened so far has been towards that technical director, recruitment staff, like scouting staff. Like everything's been so focused on that because it is still a mishmash of multiple managers and styles and players. So I don't think Raheem himself is the issue. I think that our attackers just seem to be the ones that get the short end of the stick because of all the cha- chop and changing. They don't have, they, they aren't allowed to, to build these these chemistries and patterns of play with their midfield because every time we make a change it's a brand new style i agree and disagree at the same time i do think the attack does need to be refreshed it can be don't get me wrong it can be improved i i agree like that's why i'm saying like omari hutchinson can play next match because i think our attack is is slacking right now but to, to an extent i still think like i think Sorry to cut you off, but I think yeah. Hutchinson was only involved last match on the bench because Chuck was injured. Chuck Omeka. I mean, I don't know. Reports have said that he's been impressing when training with the first team. Like yeah, he was good enough. against the back, the the closed doors stuff. He has been the arguably our best attacking player in the academy this year. So who knows? Maybe it's his time. Um, Sam, do you have anything else to add to that, or? <laughs> I just want to go back to when we originally signed Raheem Sterling and how <laughs> I never, I, I never yelling. thought, I just never thought he was the man. And yeah. I know that you, you're saying that we signed him to be the man. I never thought he was. I thought he was a good player, but he's not the man. Yeah, unfortunately, he's not. So you just take this opportunity to say, I told you so. That was right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so while uh, Sam rubs it in, I'll read out um, our only leftover Twitter question because most of them were weaved into the rest of the script here. But Ron asked us, do we go easy and rest as many players as we can midweek, especially Silva and Kova, and go all out versus Arsenal? And with that being said, how do we feel going into that game? So let's just kind of dissect this into two parts because we are going to be getting into the Arsenal preview in our next pod. Um, where we'll go into a little bit more detail, but he asked an interesting question about the midweek match. Now, the group isn't necessarily sewn up for us. We're sitting on 10 points, Milan's on 7, Milan plays Salzburg, so obviously if Milan get a win there, um, they could be level with us on points, and if they win by 4 goals, they will be level with us on goal differential. That's assuming that we either draw this game 0-0 or lose um, against Zagreb. And Zagreb is in an interesting position here because they are actually um, they're in for a chance to get into the Europa League playoffs. So if they can beat us and Salzburg lose to Milan, which is probably the more likely result, 
Zagreb can get a Europa League spot potentially. So they have a lot to play for. We still have to lock up the group. Um, so are you guys comfortable benching Silva and Kovacic? Uh, Andres, I'll start with you. Um, I'm okay with benching Kovacic because I think in Europe, you can get away with like a less physical side. I, I honestly think that the Zagreb match against Tuchel is just one of those things that I don't really know. It was, he scored their one chance sort of thing. Um, I think Jorginho has been fine in Europe. So for Kovacic to get a, a rest midweek, that's totally fine with me. Uh, Tiago Silva, I mean, can you really rest him? Like, what do you play if you rest him? I mean, I guess what? Gray, uh, you have to go back three if you rest Tiago Silva. It have to Small be Gray, Trevor Chalaba, and Aspie, which Yuck. I guess technically you could do against Zagreb because they're just going to try to hit you on the counter. But I don't know, man. I think... Agrev has Orsic at left wing, and that dude's like a freaking bullet. So do you really want Aspie running against that guy all game in a back three? It's just, it's tough, man. I I don't think you can bench Tiago just yet. If anything, get a lead, and then then you pull him out. Um, I just don't, I would not feel comfortable starting without Tiago Silva midweek. So Graham Potter said that there's a chance Koulibaly could be in the squad or in contention to play Zagreb. So let's cross our fingers and hope that is the case and that he's able to make it. But Sam, um, are you benching Kova and Silva for the sake of just getting them rest and keeping them fresh for Arsenal? A hundred percent. I do not care about winning the group. I seriously don't care. I, we mm-hmm. already clinched it. We already clinched the knockout stage. Let, let's be real. We're not, we're not winning Champions League this year. But we could make a run, you know. Whether I think we... we're winning it, I don't know what you're yeah, on. True, true. <laughs> I, last, you know, when last time we won Champions League, I probably said the same thing. We're not winning Champions League this year. And just, I think I might have misheard you, Zach, but I might be also correcting you. And that if we draw, we we win the group as well. With a draw, yeah, we win the yeah. group. A draw would be enough. So. I am, I mean, Arsenal, they looked like they were slowing down the last couple matches. And then this morning, they popped off five goals against, um, who they played? Nottingham Forest, yeah. Nottingham Forest, yeah. I'm scared to death about this match. And um, we'll talk about it in the next episode more. But I personally don't care. If we, I mean, a lot has to go wrong for us to lose the group. We have to lose, and Milan has to win with the goal differential being uh, uh, five differential. Because if we tie in goal differential, then we still we have a tiebreaker by winning the head to head. So a lot has to go wrong for us. A lot has to go right for Milan for them to even pass us in the first place. I and don't forget Salzburg are only one. What is it? One point behind Milan. Let me double check on that really yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if Salzburg Salzburg are definitely going to go for the jugular against Milan, yeah. it's going to be a hell of a match yeah. to watch. I, I don't. I don't see Milan winning like three, four nil. You know, like I could see us losing two nil maybe, 
it's definitely possible if in, in my if if my like you know idea was to be adopted by um by Potter in that just like play <laughs> anyone but the starting 11 but um yeah I honestly am not I really don't want to play anyone this this match I uh I'm on your side Sam I don't think we should just say fuck it whatever happens in this game happens in this game i think we look at Jorginho, like andres said he's been fantastic in the champions league maybe partner him with a guy like rlc at the as a as a midfield pivot and i know that sounds disgusting saying out loud but against a side like zagreb you can get away with it um so i mean with that being said i'm just gonna go ahead and throw my prediction in there i think we win this match we get back to our winning ways. I think it'll be a similar scoreline to Salzburg. I don't think we keep a clean sheet, but I think it could be another 2-1 Chelsea, but a relatively comfortable game for us um, heading into the Arsenal match. And I'm, I'm really crossing my fingers that we can get across the line against Zagreb without any injuries or any suspensions or anything like that. So I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea here, um, and I'll pass it off to you guys. Andy, what are you, uh, what are you predicting? Because I think we know what Sam is going to say. I am predicting something insane. Zakaria is gonna get on the pitch. Wow. That's that's actually too insane for me to like even consider. But was he was he not get, dead to you get, like forty minutes ago? Let me get you. Listen, after you told me that Thiago Silva was gonna get rest, and Sam kind of just pitched me the fact that I I shouldn't play Thiago Silva midweek because of all this math that he did. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. Zakaria wasn't math. It was algebra. Oh, you you were gonna say that? What the hell, dude? I was actually I was thinking that. Did it at you? Like earlier in the episode, I didn't want to say anything. Listen, I'm not saying it's gonna work. I'm not saying that. Like, I fully believe it. I'm just saying, like, something in my head. It's a little bit in there, a little bit. I don't know. I knew you were gonna say that, Andreas. That's so funny. Because I was actually thinking that. I was, while one of you guys were talking, I was, like, looking up to see if Zakaria played at in center back ever. Because he has the build to do it. He has the physicality to do it. I think he has a skill set to do it. He should be and more he, like, and like And, like, if, if, and if there's any match to try it in, it's probably this one. I think I'm not, it's not it's not that crazy actually. I think someone with a degree in psychology would be absolutely insane to play a player that hasn't made a single appearance for the club that he's on loan to to play him out of position in a technically must win Champions League match. Okay, well you start off in the back three and then you change to a back four and move him to midfield. Easy. Or if it looks yeah, that bad. I'd rather just start him in a midfield three. Just put or Jorginho, Zakaria, and RLC out there, see what they can do. Or like, let's try it does, out. Does Potter know the academy well enough to trust a kid to play center back in the Champions League? Like, oh, is, that, is that a possibility? I, I don't know our our under twenty three squad that well. Just be like, oh yeah, this guy can get called up. But yeah, I mean, is that completely out of the realm? I don't know. Was Hall did it know. out of the freaking blue one time? Never played Levi Colwell. Uh, Brighton. Oh, how nice it would have been to yeah. keep that kid, huh? <laughs> yeah. Hey, hindsight uh, twenty twenty. Billy Gilmore could have been kept too. <laughs> my uh, my prediction. So I haven't been on an episode 
for a while. I don't know when the last last time I uh gave this prediction, so I don't know where my streak stands, but I'm gonna go ahead and continue it. You've been I think submitting it'll... them for you. I don't know if the magic Uh, remains if if we unofficial do that. yeah i mean it's been it's been unofficial then because i'm just doing has it been on a thing my as behalf your it's it's different than me actually doing like you know thinking that i could see it definitely being like a hard-fought match both both sides just lay it out all in the field and the final score being two two a draw two two draw absolutely groundbreaking that was that was so profound song Thank you. i don't know what to say It was I think it that's was almost why as prof it was almost as profound as Graham Potter's post game quotes. <laughs> i think that's a perfect spot to kind of wrap things up huh um so yeah i mean that's that's our podcast for today um if you guys are still listening make sure you're following us on twitter at blues on parade um we do post an episode after every match we also post a questions tweet after every match so if you want to be included in our script if you want us to answer your question or you're just curious to see what we think about something make sure that you're responding to that tweet uh letting us know your thoughts or whatever your question is and we'll shout you out even uh a whole ass human capital department at some company that we don't know the name of so um that's that <laughs> and uh with that being said keep the blue flag flying high